This is the Pain Information Network. Well, welcome back, everybody. And I'm getting my stuff back. So we're getting closer. You may hear a little wind. You may hear a little bit of outside noise and the like. We're getting ready for Irma. And God bless everybody in Harvey's way, um, as well as, as Irma. We're thinking about you. So I had the real pleasure of going to the Southern Pain Society meeting, meeting with Mordecai, Geraldine, and my good friend B. Todd Sitzman. Todd and I go back 20-some years. My cousin, my first cousin, believe it or not, was a pain doctor at Mayo, and we went on this parallel pathway together. We really didn't even know it for a long time. And uh, Todd and uh, my cousin worked together at Mayo. Todd's a pretty special guy. He's somebody that is uh, well entrenched in pain, understands pain, and in this episode, understands neuromodulation, and that's spinal cord stimulation. He's going to talk about that. Had a great talk today. Geraldine had a great talk. She's a multidisciplinary uh, psychologist, uh, PhD level, and a true entrepreneur. Mordecai Potesh, what can you say? Puts on a great show. I love the Southern Pain Society. They are probably uh, one of the most um, energetic groups, and we get a, a good meeting in New Orleans out of him every year. He's at Tulane. He's a psychiatrist, but he's also a pain specialist. That's kind of unique, and he works at the VA, you know, and thanks for him doing that, taking care of our vets. So, you know, you, you pull great people together whenever you got them. And I had them. I pulled them together. I call it my typical ambush. And I had them pull them in a bar, and we sat down. That eh, sounds not so good, but I'm, I'm not a sound junkie. I'm an information junkie. So the point is this. You're going to listen to three world-class people talking about what they do, doing the right thing for the right reasons for our patients. And it's it's fun talking to them when they aren't in their clinical coats, when they get a chance to let down and just just be themselves. And I hope I get, get them on over and over again, and I love going down to the Southern Pain Society meeting. Very, very refreshing, and who doesn't love New Orleans? So let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. We're in New Orleans, as you hear overhead, and we're podcasting basically, yep, from a bar. And in New Orleans on Saturday, it's about football. And there's a few of these Southern College football teams that people have certain loyalty to. I've heard a few of those names. Roll Tide. What are some of the others? LSU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LSU's playing tonight. And Clemson. I mean, we could go on and on. The big deal here. Oh, there you go. The big deal is we're at the Southern Pain Society meeting. And uh, this meeting is run by some really fabulous people. And guess what? I got them right here. And we're going to talk tonight in a roundtable about special topics. We get to hear from two mental health providers and a little bit of CDC guidelines. And B. Todd Sitzmans, who's been a friend of mine for 22 years, uh, ex-president of AAPM. I mean, he won't he won't yuck himself up, but he's a big deal. He uh, has published in Spine recently and understands stimulation like 
nobody understands stimulation. So he's going to talk a little bit about that because he talked about that today. So let's go around the table. You have at it, Mordecai. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Hey, I'm Morty Potash, Mordecai Potash, and I'm a psychiatrist and a pain specialist uh, through Tulane University. I'm an associate professor of psychiatry at Tulane, and I also work at the new New Orleans VA hospital where I'm spending most of my clinical time working with veterans at the new VA hospital. Hi, I'm Gerilyn Datz. I'm a pain psychologist, otherwise known as a health psychologist, and I practice in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, by way of New York. I went to school at SUNY Stony Brook, and I direct a multidisciplinary pain practice in Hattiesburg, and we provide treatment for chronic pain, insomnia, we do biofeedback, we also have a functional restoration program where we rehabilitate patients with chronic pain. We do a lot of screening and evaluations for different types of surgeries, for spinal cord stimulation, uh, implantable pumps, and um, different types of procedures related to pain relief. Hi, I'm Todd Sitzman. I'm medical director of Advanced Pain Therapy in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, past president of the American Academy of Pain Medicine, president-elect of the North American Neuromodulation Society, fortunate enough to um, also work with Geraldine in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, run a comprehensive pain practice, um, taking care of patients with chronic pain. All right. it's a good start. All right. You know, Mordecai, this is yes. the deal. All right. Um, you have a unique background. We haven't interviewed a psychiatrist in a long time. Yeah. And um, understanding pain, understanding the brain, the brain is the big deal. And, you know, when I talk about treating pain inside out as opposed to outside in, right. I think that way. And you have a way of thinking about that way, too. Tell us about it. Right, right. You know, I, I, I try to think about it uh, in the sense of understanding the emotional and existential ramifications of pain. You know, not just the physical part, but understanding how chronic pain affects the person's life emotionally. How are they coping with the chronic pain, their sleep, their anxiety level, and what their day-to-day emotional life is dealing with the chronic pain. Well, how, how do you how do you direct them? What what kind of information do you give you know, them? What kind of directed care approach well, do you Well, you know, it's it, that very interesting that you say that. You know, uh, in psychiatry residency, we get trained in how to do a comprehensive interview for mental health assessments, and I rely, or often called a DSM. Uh, TR assessment, and I rely on on doing that. One of the beauties of being a psychiatrist or a mental health practitioner is that we get to spend a lot more time with a fewer number of patients, but my typical intake with a veteran is 90 minutes right now, where I'm really able to get into the the veteran's uh, life, their emotional life, their family life, their social life, and really get a better understanding of how chronic pain is affecting their existence and how sometimes psychotropic medications can help them better deal with the pain, as well as how psychotropic medications can also help them take fewer opiate-containing medications. What's psychotropic mean? So psychotropic means, it can mean... Anti anxiety medicine, antidepressant medicine, 
you know, the term psychotropic became a lot more popular because we have new antipsychotic medicines that work for so much more than just psychosis or schizophrenia. What we have found is medicines like uh, Seroquel or Zyprexa or Abilify that are used for treating schizophrenia or bipolar mood disorder also help people a lot with chronic pain. And we think that it also it helps turn down the intensity of the pain stimulus in the brain itself, but also helps with sleep and quality of life. So that ev- let's say even if their numeric pain rating doesn't go down, at least they feel that they're coping better with the chronic pain. Yeah, you said sleep. Boy, that's a... That's a check mark. Most patients in pain say they can't sleep. What do you do about that? Right, absolutely. And, uh, sleep and conversely energy level. Like the twin the twin heads are people saying that they don't sleep well because of the chronic pain and that they're tired all day because of the chronic pain. Uh, one favorite uh, treatment for insomnia using the new psychiatric medication is a medicine called Seroquel, which is commonly being commonly prescribed to help with sleep. But what we also found is that people taking Seroquel not only sleep better, uh, not only sleep longer, but sleep better. They have more stage four or REM sleep or that restorative sleep that's really important for them to feel well rested and to wake up in less pain. Okay. All right, so this is what people want to know. When they come in and they're in pain, um, some doctor isn't going to say, it's all in my head. You know, you you think I'm crazy, don't you? Um, You hear this all the time, but they're not crazy, are they? Yeah, you know, and it's very interesting um, that, you know, when I was younger, that would happen more often. But as I've gotten older, you know, the, the acceptance of mental health care has really increased nationally. And, and you'd be surprised how few, how, how seldomly patients are saying that anymore, that they understand that whether it's chronic pain or diabetes or heart disease or cancer care, that there's an emotional and existential and psychological aspect of illness, just like there's a, there is a biological medical aspect of illness, and that comprehensive care means that both are addressed. Okay, weigh in on that. Well, I want to have more of Morty's patients because I actually hear a lot of that. And I don't know if that's a function of where I am um, but or how my patients get to me. But that's often, I would say about 40 to 50% of the time, that's usually the first thing people say. I just want you to know I'm not crazy. Uh, I don't want you to send me to the hospital. Um, and, you know, I've never been to someone like you before, and I really didn't want to come here. So um, that's very commonplace for me. It, it doesn't alarm me or offend me. I think that's an understandable reaction to sociocultural influences that most people have when they think about mental health. Whoa, that's a big word. Yeah, it is. It just means how you learned um, to think about mental health from your family or your culture or your region. And so I think in my particular region, I'm, I'm not from Mississippi, I'm from New York, but from what I understand from my patients is that 
they would never go to a mental health professional unless they had done and gone crazy, um, that they think that mental health is only for extreme circumstances like um, suicidal behavior or being schizophrenic. And so I think for people in my region anyway, the idea of mental health and medicine being tandem, being together, is unusual for them. But what I do is I'm just really informal with patients, and I just say, hey, listen, your pain has affected your sleep, right? It's affected your mood. Have you changed in the family? Have you gone from the front of the household to the back bedroom? You know, are you, is your sex drive down? Do you feel more stressed? And as soon as we start finding things we can agree on, then we have traction. I got it. You know, the, the, I guess the most important thing is that uh, when patients come in, we have their best interest in mind. We are not judgmental. What we are is a source of either referral information to the proper individual or a source of answers. And if we can't give all those answers, we refer, don't we? Absolutely. And, and, and letting them know freely that we don't have all the answers, that it's okay for us not to get, have all the answers, and, and, but that we will help them work with them so that they could better find the best to the best of our ability and to the best of their ability the answers that they're looking for one thing when Geraldine was talking uh, made me think um, now that I'm also working at the the VA I've been privileged to work with some chronic pain patients from Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. And what's really struck me is that they have a really good understanding long before they get to the VA, starting with their Defense Department, that their wound is going to be both physical and emotional, and that their physical pain and their PTSD is going to be linked. When I'm interviewing them and asking them, like, well, when was the first time that they met with a mental health provider? A lot of times they say, when I, wo- when I woke up at Landstuhl. When I woke up at Landstuhl, there was a psychologist there. After the surgeons got done with me, I, I spoke with a psychologist. So very early on, I think the Department of Defense is doing a really good job of kind of connecting that holistic component of the physical and emotional psychological. And I, by the time they get to me, I'm not the first, not the second, usually the fifth mental health clinician that they've seen. Yeah, it's awesome you do that. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right, I'm going to give you the mic to tell us the difference between what you do with your therapeutic approach and what Mordecai would do with his, because people get so confused. What's a psychologist? What's a psychiatrist? What's a mental health provider? What's a sociologist? What's a, you know, you know, you just go on and on with all these titles. All right, talk. Absolutely. I love that you asked me that question because I was thinking the same thing. So very similar to Morty, I take the whole person into account, but my approach is more cognitive behavioral. And so I, when I'm interviewing patients, I'm looking at their thought processes, their beliefs, their assumptions about their pain, and then also how those thoughts and feelings are affecting their behavior, how it's affecting their activity level, how it's affecting their motivation, whether it's affecting their work or not, or their motivation to work or return to work. Um, We're also looking at things like diagnoses of depression, anxiety, trauma, social anxiety, panic attacks, along with 
their chronic pain problem. And the reason that that's important, and that was one of the things I was talking about today, is that depression and anxiety actually amplify pain signals. They also affect the person's compliance level because if the person's not motivated, they might not adhere to something that a physician tells them to do. If they're very anxious, they can actually override the effects of their medication through the process of just uh, dialing up their central nervous system. Um, When Morty was talking about sleep, one of the things that um, we do in our clinic is we do cognitive behavioral treatment of insomnia. So medication absolutely has its place in regulating sleep. But again, the mind is strong and medication is not mind control. And so if the person is worrying, if they're ruminating, uh, I have patients that are afraid to go to sleep, that they um, have developed reactions after surgery or in the face of trauma where they feel like if they go to sleep, they might die or they don't, or they fear sleep because they're not in control. They fear nightmares. And so this um, creates a situation called a conditioned insomnia. I feel it's really underdiagnosed and that really responds well to these cognitive behavioral treatments. Yeah, that's awesome. Mordecai, I know you got to run. Why don't you give everybody an idea where you can find you? Where you can find me? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, when uh, I hang out at Tulane, <laughs> I'm with the psychiatry department at Tulane, and uh, and actually, uh, we have a psychiatry website that can be accessed through the Tulane website, www.tulane.edu. Uh, I can be reached at my clinic, 504-988-4913. And uh, let me just say that that my clinic, uh, that's my uh, Tulane clinic, is embedded within the primary care department. So as a psychiatrist, I'm seeing a lot of patients that are referred by uh, uh, primary care docs, nephrologists, transplant specialists, surgeons, and the like. I'm really happy about that. And my email, can, I can be contacted. It's very simple, mpotash, M-P-O-T-A-S-H, at tulane.edu. Awesome. Gerilyn? I'm in Hattiesburg. Um, we Our clinic is 601-255-1618, and the website is www.southernbmed, B as in boy, M-E-D, for Southern Behavioral Medicine, Com. We have satellite offices in Jackson and in Gulfport, mm. and we accept nearly all insurances and self-referrals. You don't need to have a doctor's referral necessarily unless your insurance requires it, and um, we'd be happy to speak with you. That's awesome. Thanks, guys. Now I'm going to change directions, and I'm going to give uh, Todd Sitzman the microphone because, uh, you know, one of the most confusing and difficult problems we have in medicine is is protracted pain what to do when the doctor or somebody says uh you're just gonna have to live with the pain but we know better don't we todd so fail back surgery syndrome peripheral neuropathy you know any type of neuropathy unspecified um any type of problem with the low back that uh is is really refractory and you don't want to go up on opioids we have options, don't we? Uh, we sure do, Hans. And um, and the answers are not always evident. I would say, on average, patients have experienced 11 to 13 years of chronic pain before they they come to see me. They've often exhausted 
multiple surgeries of their lumbar spine, uh, multiple injections, multiple years of medications, um, are often in disability type situations. And it's unfair. And, and I would say that you have to be your own advocate. Do not accept chronic pain as a, as a lifelong sentence. You have to take the steps. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to educate yourself. And in some cer- circumstances, you may have to educate your physician. Uh, I'm going to briefly speak about neurostimulation. Today's spinal cord stimulation is different than spinal cord stimulation three, four, five years and distant ago. So if you've undergone a trial or even a permanent implantation of a spinal cord stimulator more than three years ago, it is essentially obsolete with regard to today's standards. Um, It's been a paradigm shift in the past low-frequency stimulations in which the patient actually felt the stimulation. They felt the tingling in the back, in the legs in order to achieve pain. And quite often, they felt the stimulation but didn't get the, ch- the pain relief that they wanted. And, uh, and they were told that there's nothing more we can offer. Well, there is something. Um, the newer systems are, are known as high-frequency spinal cord stimulator systems. They are quite effective. In fact, prospective longitudinal studies, and by that I mean studies that were looked at comparing the older spinal cord stimulator systems with the newer spinal cord stimulator systems were looked at in a very scientific fashion. Uh, Patients were randomized to receive one or the other and then studied over a 24-month period. The newer high-frequency stimulation systems were literally 100% better than the older systems. The pain relief went from the mid-40s up to 86 to 87% effectiveness. So if you're told that there's nothing more we can do, that is a fallacy. You've got to fight for yourself. You have to educate yourself, and and you just have to because no one's going to do it unless you do it for yourself. I know. You even talked today about uh, peripheral nerve stimulation. You know, People are going to hear about that, and they're going to want to know about that. What's the difference between spinal cord stimulation and peripheral nerve stimulation? Well, the, the, the nervous system is divided into two aspects. One is the central nervous system, which is in the brain, the spinal cord. The other one are the peripheral nerve systems, which are the, the nerves that exit the spinal cord, and they go down the limb. It could be the upper extremity or the lower extremity to the, to the hands or the feet, and that is known as the peripheral nervous system. Um, Spinal cord stimulation is effective to treat extremity pain, back pain, trunk pain. Peripheral nerves and and peripheral nerve stimulation can be quite effective for patients that have single nerve chronic pain along a one single nerve distribution. So you can target. You can really target target it. It's the difference between a rifle shot and a shotgun shot. Yeah. And and it's really exciting. So you don't always need dorsal column stimulation. And so we're talking about the evolution of stimulation. We're going to be stimulating everything. But the bottom line is people just want relief. So what does it mean? You showed some graphs that were very compelling about opioid use and improvement in overall function and quality of life. Well, the 24-month data show that pain relief was 45% better with high-frequency spinal cord stimulation versus low-frequency spinal cord stimulation. So if you've had a former system uh, that was that was um, uh, programmed at, at frequencies that you could actually feel and you did not get relief, then ask your physician about the newer systems that you don't feel, the, that the, the newer systems that stimulate at such high frequency that the patient doesn't feel it, yet it works. 
You know, Todd, the, the problem is <clears throat> a lot of folks don't get this uh, front-end stuff. Where would they go to find out more about this, this okay. information? Um, one place would be uh, a national website called the neuromodulation.org. It's N-E-U-R-O-M-O-D-U-L-A-T-I-O-N.org. Um, other one would be the, some industry-related uh, websites, and that would be nevro, N-E-V-R-O.com. Um, that would be another high-frequency spinal cord stimulator resource. You know, <clears throat> what folks don't understand is neuro, this Neuromodulation Society that he's going to be president of is a huge international organization. Tell us about that. Um, it represents it's an organization that represents approximately 2,000 pain specialists that include neurosurgeons, neurologists, pain physicians uh, nationwide and all over North America. Um, we... We promote, advocate the use of spinal cord stimulation as well as intrathecal drug delivery, those, and those in, that includes medications delivered directly to the spinal fluid to treat chronic, chronic pain conditions as well as chronic spasticity conditions, conditions that occur in patients with stroke or spinal cord injury. All right, so this is going to be your second presidency. I get that. Um, you're going in with the intention of doing what over the next year? What are your goals? What, what could you throw forward? My goals are going to be to advocate for the use of this technology. I, I don't think there's been a, a, a time where patients' choices are being limited. They're being limited by insurance carriers whose sole purpose is to, to, is to limit patient access to therapies that they know works. And they do it by restricting financially um, um, uh, patients' access to these medications or spinal cord stimulation. They do it by limiting um, the physician panels which provi- who provide these services. They do it by restricting the limit, the indications that which they will cover. But if you have chronic pain, if you have pain of the legs, if you have pain of the low back, if you have pain of the neck, of the upper extremity, it is indicated. Yeah, they you- call it experimental. It, or the, a lot of different terms. I wish we could do that. You know, your uh, reimbursement strategies are experimental. I wish we could do that, but we can't. So, all right, let's close it out. If, if we want to know about spinal cord stimulation and a little bit about you, where can we find you? You can find me. I can be reached at my office at 601 450 Also, my website is www.advanced hyphen pain hyphen therapy.com so um it's been an honor to have everybody on i mean this has been really great i don't get a table like this very often uh these are these are leaders and uh thanks for everybody i mean anybody want to close out with any closing thoughts laissez le bon temps rouler lanyap just enjoy life (laughs) (laughs) okay we got it all right, thanks, guys. Yeah, you love that. I, I just, uh, I can't get enough of that place. It's a great town. They're back. They're back from their hurricane. So again, we're thinking of you people. Uh, USA got hit pretty hard with hurricanes this week. We're thinking of you. And unfortunately, my parents, uh, World War II vets, right over the eye, and that's coming tonight. So a little heavy. But we're going to be fine, and they're the type of people that are resilient. And if I can say anything to folks out there that listen, resilience. 
I know you're, you know, you're suffering from pain and you have difficulties with situational depression, anxiety, it might be addiction. I mean, you know, it's a spectrum. It truly is. But resilience. Every day has a chance to be a better Jay. And you can make it that way. So I'll see you next week. I'm going to fix the music.